Welcome to Mind Matters News. I'm your amiable host, Robert J. Marks. Greetings. EMPs or electromagnetic pulses come from lightning, the sun, nuclear explosions, and man-made weapons. We hear about EMPs disabling electronics. We hear that your cell phone would be wrecked and your car would be disabled because the electronics would be fried. And I tell you, as an electrical engineer uh, not specializing in this area, the more I look into this, the more concerned I become. Our guest today to talk about this is Dr. Sarah Sigwin. She is an expert in the area of electromagnetic compatibility. Dr. Sigwin was formerly on the faculty at the University of Kansas. She then developed the software business Third Iron and now is doing research at Baylor University. Sarah, welcome welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. I'm really excited and happy to be here. I appreciate the time. Oh, this is great. I think that uh, we're going to scare a lot of people, don't you? <laughs> well, I, I think that uh, knowledge is power and not necessarily scary. Okay. Yes, I guess that there's a there's truth in that also. Uh, you know, both you and I are electrical engineers, and we are pretty diverse. The field of electrical engineering is, well, in our parent society, the IEEE, the Institute of Electrical and Electronic Engineers, has, I have to say this, over 400,000 members. And it's divided into numerous individual specialty societies. And one of them dealing with EMPs is subsumed in the society dealing with electromagnetic compatibility. Now, you're, you're in that society. You've held office in the IEEE Electromagnetic Compatibility Society, and the study of EMP technology lives in this society. Before talking about EMPs, let's be a little bit more general and just define what electromagnetic compatibility is and why electrical engineers need a separate society to study electromagnetic compatibility. Could you describe the general field of electromagnetic compatibility? Yes, I'd be happy to. Uh, it's a very large field. And a note that I am currently chair of the Spectrum Engineering Committee, TC6, subcommittee of electromagnetic, the IEEE EMC Society, Electromagnetic Compatibility. So EMC, I always like to describe it the best when I was teaching the class at, at Kansas. Basically, electromagnetic compatibility is um, based on the fact that all active devices radiate electromagnetic energy. And the fact that I am talking to you through my computer and I have a cell phone right next to me and my microphone is working and everything is just working seamlessly is electromagnetic compatibility. And it's non-trivial. Basically, all of these devices, by just simply being turned on, radiate electromagnetic energy. And then this electromagnetic energy, we want it to not interfere with other devices. Uh, a very good example of an electromagnetic compatibility issue that generally like we've decided not to fix because it's for like cheap speakers is I think all of us have set our cell phone next to an inexpensive speaker and right before it rings or maybe before we receive a text message, you hear a little bit of buzz, right? Well, that's because those speakers aren't shielded against that energy that is being induced within that circuit from your cell phone. Now, of course, there's expensive speakers that can handle this, but the generally like cheap computer speakers, et cetera, can't. So electromagnetic compatibility is basically the fact 
that we take for granted that all of our devices work together when we turn them on and there's no interference. So a specific type of electromagnetic compatibility is uh, the EMP, the electromagnetic pulse. What are EMPs? And um, I don't know, maybe you could discuss some of their sources. Well, uh, one of the biggest and most well-known sources for electromagnetic pulses are um, nuclear detonations. So, of course, a nuclear detonation, for the, it has all sorts of physical uh, issues, but before, um, and when they were testing uh, the nuclear bomb originally, a nuclear detonation in the mid-1940s, it was discovered that semiconductor devices that were used to monitor these effects were actually destroyed. But they weren't actually destroyed by the physical blast. They were destroyed by the electromagnetic pulse that comes before the blast. Another source of electromagnetic pulses is lightning. And of course, we can have created uh, electromagnetic pulses. Uh, there have been some governments that have been working on that as well that have been in the news recently. Okay. Now, we, we hear that electromagnetic pulses fry our electronics, zap our electronics. What's the, what's the physics behind this? What is going on that a, a electromagnetic pulse can disable your cell phone or your car or something like that? Well, again, it comes back to the whole electromagnetic compatibility issue here and how hardened your device is. So what happens is you have a very intense or powerful electromagnetic wave that's emitted from, for example, a nuclear detonation, or it's, it could be created with uh, electronics and a directional antenna. So then this intense electromagnetic wave basically causes current to be induced within the device. I've always heard that, for example, your AM radio is a result of electromagnetics being transmitted at the transmitter and you receive it. So it induces current in your radio. Yeah, that's exactly what happens with AM radio, FM radio, all of it. You're inducing current on the antenna that's receiving it. So an electromagnetic pulse is really just like a really strong transmission that's inducing currents on your electronics. Um, unfortunately, it's in a way that we don't like, and the electronics generally aren't hardened for this um, or expect it because it, it could be antennas are definite like problem places where a device could be vulnerable to EMPs. But in addition, just like, for example, if you think about a circuit board where there's a long trace to run um, currents across, uh, EMPs could also induce currents there. Now, inducing currents on a particular conductor is not necessarily the problem. The problem is when the semiconductors aren't rated for those level of currents that are induced and then could actually physically cause these electronics to fry. Like in the case in the early 1940s when they discovered what was happening in their nuclear detonation tests, or mid-1940s. Yeah, you know, in, in prepping for our, our conversation here, I read that um, Enrico Fermi actually anticipated this and asked people to cover some of their electronics prior to the Manhattan Project explosion, which I thought was very insightful. Um, let's talk about EMPs at a personal level. If an EMP goes off, we hear these fear things. Will it fry my cell phone? Uh, could it cut off communication between cell phones? In other words, 
uh, screw up the infrastructure of communications? Could, would it disable my car? Would it erase my flash drives and my computer memory? Are, are, are all of these true or some of them true? Well, they could be true. It all depends on your proximity to the EMP. Because, of course, we know that the wave propagation decreases, right, the further away that you get from the source of the EMP. So if you're right next to the EMP, say a cell tower or your cell phone, your house, um, or, for example, a lightning strike creates electromagnetic pulses too. Another, that's a natural occurrence of electromagnetic pulses. Like, if you are right next to it, especially if you don't, your devices aren't hardened to it. For a lightning, for example, if it can conductively uh, go through your power system and you don't have protection through surge suppressors, then the answer is yes. But from a like whole system standpoint, could it completely bring down an entire area? Well, it really depends on the strength of the electromagnetic wave that it's the electromagnetic pulse. Okay, yeah, you, you, you've spoken a couple of times about hardening the electronics. How, how do you protect your electronics? Say you wanted to protect it. You hear that there's a bomb which is going to go off that's going to generate an electromagnetic pulse. What do you do with your cell phone to protect it? Well, you would want it to be preferably in a shielded room. <laughs> but okay. I don't know about you. I don't have a shielded room hanging around my house. <laughs> One thing that somebody somebody suggested to me is microwave ovens. You know, microwave ovens are surrounded by um, a shell, a so-called Faraday cage, I believe, that keeps the microwaves in. I think it should also keep the microwaves out. So I might go and put my cell phone in a microwave in order to protect it um, and, 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 and try to remember not to turn on the microwave oven while it's in there. Right. <laughs> yeah, you could definitely hurt your electronics um, <laughs> okay. and your microwave. But actually, that's not a bad idea. Um, microwave ovens, though, are designed to specifically shield at the frequency, uh, the resonance of water, because that's how they work. So it's 2.45 gigahertz. And so in general, it would probably do a pretty good job if you were far enough away from the EMP. So it basically, if it shields for 2.45 gigahertz, that means that you shield based on the wavelength. So 2.4 gigahertz, the wavelength is about 12 and a half centimeters. In general, like the rule of thumb is you make the aperture or the holes, this, the largest size. Um, for example, you know, you can all look into your microwave about a quarter wavelength of that. So in general, if you... That's for the highest frequency, so it would be protected for everything lower as well. In general, you can assume that. And so I think putting it in your microwave oven could be a really good choice for, for your cell phone, provided that other infrastructure survives. One of the uh, solutions I've also heard for protection is insertion of surge devices, uh, surge protectors. The idea is that it's the quick change in the electromagnetic pulse that does a lot of damage, and maybe by using surge detectors, you could protect your electronics. Is, is that true? Yes, it is definitely true, but you'd have to think about how the surge suppressor, um, what it's protecting against. So the surge protector is protecting against energy that comes from your outlets. Or some cases, people have whole house surge suppressors. Some laboratories have whole building surge suppressors. 
And so that assumes that, for example, the electromagnetic pulse has in or lightning, which is also um, got all those frequencies, it's an electromagnetic pulse of sorts, um, it induced current onto the power lines. And then it's means that these surge suppressors are protecting against the large current that has been induced on the power lines from getting to your device and then therefore uh, causing it damage through its power supply. So this would only work if there was a there, there was an EMP explosion and it affected a say a power station that generated a surge on the line. If you were directly in the path of the EMP, it would fry your electronics and your cell phone directly. Is that right? That's correct. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Or it could. Um, like every that that is the part of the study of electromagnetic compatibility. Coming back to that is figuring out where devices are vulnerable. That's a whole study, and then basically hardening them where they're vulnerable. So, for example, your cell phone is probably going to be more vulnerable at the frequencies that it receives. Okay. So, like, um, it receives Wi-Fi at about two point four gigahertz, and so depending how close you are and how much of that frequency is in the electromagnetic pulse, for sure, you could definitely, if you're in the direct path of that intense radiated electromagnetic energy, you your devices could definitely be fried without being coupled through the power line. It just depends on where the energy is coming from. Would an EMP destroy a flash drive? Do you know? An EMP could destroy a flash drive. More likely, it would probably wouldn't destroy the specific like data that's stored, but it it could uh, destroy the electronics. In which case, you'd have to like fix the electronics to recover the data. <laughs> so, for for all intents and purposes, it is destroyed the data. Okay. Okay. You know, I was having a, a conversation. I, I believe this was a, with a guy with Microsoft. We were talking about the best way to store files. And it used to be you used little floppy disks and then these floppy disks, you had USB ports that could have up to a giga, gigabyte on them. And uh, now you can get them at terabytes, buy them on amazon.com. And I found out that I tried to store some of my stuff on such devices. I went back in a year or two, and it was totally unreadable. It, I don't know where it went, but it just destroyed. And then along came read-writable CDs and DVDs, and I tried to store a lot of stuff on those. And that also, in a couple of years, turned out to be no good. And he said that the best place probably to store your stuff is on the cloud. And I'm wondering, and I don't know, and I... You, you probably don't know either whether the cloud is protected from these EMPs. That's a really excellent question. As a co-owner of a software company that is in the cloud, I have a little knowledge of the cloud, but I am by no means a software engineer or a data center engineer. Uh, so what's interesting about the cloud is that in general, they have distributed data services. And these distributed data services means that your data is not in any one place. And so by storing your data in the cloud, an EMP would have to capture everywhere that your data is. So it'd be unlikely. And in general, these data centers, um, I know for Amazon AWS, I think there's one in Virginia. For the In general, these, or at least somewhere out east, these data centers uh, do have quite a bit of protection and security. Now, 
is your data safe from hackers? Uh, that's a different question <laughs> yeah, for a different right. podcast. But you, your data would be more protected from uh, electromagnetic pulse by storing it in the cloud. That's that's for sure. Yeah, I had heard this too that that like Microsoft has like three centers or more three or more centers and they they would have it on the east coast the west coast and in the south i should have looked i should have looked this up but i didn't and that there is a redundancy there and that if you lose one of these sites well you can still regain your information from another site so they might be doing that instead of electromagnetic compatibility hardening it's just a thought I think they do a little bit of both. I have known folks who work for IBM who work in their data centers. They also have big data centers in the cloud as well. And in general, like they are concerned about electromagnetic compatibility. They do employ EMC engineers. I know folks uh, who, who work there or have worked there. And so they do harden them a bit just by the fact that these really industrial servers just need to be hardened to work in a large room with a ton of servers. So it's kind of a combination, but I imagine they don't necessarily have like military protection, if you will. Okay. Well, thank you, Sarah. I think at a subsequent podcast, the next podcast that we do, I'd like to talk to you about the uh, the electric grid, but that's we'll, we'll save that till next time. Thank you. This has been very informative. Uh, thank you very much, Sarah. Our guest today has been Dr. Sarah Sigwin, an electrical engineer who specializes in electromagnetic compatibility, including EMPs. So until next time on Mind Matters News, be of good cheer. This has been Mind Matters News with your host, Robert J. Marks. Explore more at mindmatters.ai. That's mindmatters.ai. Mind Matters News is directed and edited by Austin Egbert. The opinions expressed on this program are solely those of the speakers. Mind Matters News is produced and copyrighted by the Walter Bradley Center for Natural and Artificial Intelligence at Discovery Institute.